Let's talk this morning about the book of Revelation. We've been going over the book of Revelation and the introduction to it because we're laying a groundwork for what is to come. We are going to do the churches, chapters 2 and 3, we're going to do those at the end uh, because we're going to get into what I believe is going to happen after we are raptured. And the rapture is something that we need to talk about as well. Um, and there's a lot of different viewpoints. A lot of people, um, you know, have different beliefs on when the church is going to be raptured, if the church is going to be raptured. I know this, that I believe that God's word is written for us to understand. It wasn't written so that scholars could one day sit there and tell you what the Bible's about, what the book of Revelation. It was written. This is a prophecy that Jesus Christ gave to the church so that we would know what would take place and, and we would know why it's important to know him and to put our faith in him. And so I believe that the book of Revelation is not as complicated as what people make of it. Now, are there some things in there that are confusing? Absolutely. If you just pick a verse out, if you just pick something out in the book of Revelation, you're going to be like, what? What is it talking about? The woman, the beast, the, the dragon? What is, what is all that? It's understandable, but if you read it in context, you'll, you'll realize that God's word is pretty simple. It's a pretty simple message to us. So we're going we're gonna to get into that, but we're going to do the churches at the end um, because um, I just want to you know, get into the, the stuff that happens um, in the future here. But let's go over, let's read the first six verses again. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ. Once again, this is from him. This is from the Son of God. This is from Jesus. This is important to know. And which God gave us to show his servants what must soon take place. So there is this desire for Jesus to say, get the word out, get the word out. This is important. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. So as you're reading through the book of Revelation, I encourage you, read it aloud. Why? Because Jesus said you'll be blessed. You will be blessed if you read it aloud. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. You're starting to get this idea from Jesus that he says, listen, soon, soon, soon. Just like when we're, we, you know, whenever we go on a trip, my wife and I go on a trip, and we'll call home, say, hey, we're going to be home. What time are you going to be home? I know why they're asking, because they want to clean up before we get home. And I usually, I, sometimes I'll say, soon, right? It may be an hour, maybe two hours, maybe around the block, but get the house clean. Jesus is saying soon. Okay. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits before his throne from Jesus Christ. You have this picture of the Trinity here, the, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The, you have the seven spirits before the throne. This is from Isaiah 11, talking about the sevenfold of the Spirit, a completeness of the Holy Spirit. And then you have and from Jesus Christ. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in this, these couple verses in verse 4 and 5. And then it talks about who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I love that. Because it doesn't talk that he was the ruler. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he is supreme authority. And it goes on, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin 
and by his blood has made us into the kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is what we talked about last week, how much he loves us, how much he has forgiven us, and how he has changed us. And now we are part of the kingdom of God. We are a part of the priesthood. And the priest was, his sole purpose was to take care of the presence of God. And guess what? He lives in us, and we get to take care of the presence of God. We are part of the kingdom of God. And then verse 7, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds, with every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. If you realize this verse starts to put a twist on this message because up to this point, man, we got Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. We have this blessing. We have this prophecy. He's going to let us go in. And then all of a sudden it says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And even those who pierce him and all the people of the earth will say, behold, it's Jesus Christ. Woo-hoo. That's not what it says. It says, and the, all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. This is a twist. Now first, before we get into the twist, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. He is coming with the clouds. We see this in the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13, it says, in my vision, this is Daniel, at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Daniel sees someone who looks like the Son of Man, and he is riding in the clouds. And he enters into the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? We know that it's God. He is the one who's always been. He is the God, the Ancient of Days. He is led, and he was, this son of man who was riding in the clouds was led into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And then the Ancient of Days um, is, is being approached by the Son of Man, and verse 14 says, and he was given, the Son of Man was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Please understand this, that this one who is riding in the clouds is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Not just power, not just authority, but sovereign power. Who does this sound like? It sounds like God. It sounds like the one that we trust who has all authority and glory and sovereign power. But listen to this. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. Now think about this for a moment. Here you have the Ancient of Days and one that is approaching in the clouds, the Son of Man, like the Son of Man is coming and he approaches the Ancient of Days and he comes into the presence of God. And God anoints him and gives him power and gives him glory and gives him sovereign power and he allows every single nation and people to worship him. This is the Old Testament, and you see a beautiful picture of how God is trying to reveal who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And look at this. He's riding in the clouds, and his dominion, the Son of Man, is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Who has eternal characteristics? God. And here you have the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man in this situation and it's 
pretty awesome that the Son of Man is coming with the clouds of heaven. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. We have in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is standing before the priest and they, they, before his trial, and he says, aren't you going to answer? Uh, aren't you going to give any, any response? In verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. Finally, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath of the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah and the Son of God. And Jesus replies like this, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus says, listen, next time you see me, I'm going to be coming in the clouds. And what did the, what did the peace people do there? They tore their robes. They said, blasphemy, that's all we need to hear. Kill them. Because why? Only God rides in the clouds. Only God has authority above the heavens. And here, John recognizes that, look, he is coming with the clouds. He knows that this is Jesus. He says, look, Jesus is coming with the clouds, meaning that he is the one who has been given authority, power, and, or authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations will worship him. But here, he adds something. Everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, Revelation 1-7. He's coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who who pierced him. Who are the people who pierced Jesus? These are the people that have rejected him as Savior. These are the people that do not recognize Jesus Christ as their Savior. They pierced him. And because of that, it says that all people on earth will mourn because of him. Why are people going to mourn when they see Jesus coming in the clouds? Because they had an opportunity to receive him as their savior. They had an opportunity to receive the gift that he offered us called salvation. But because they rejected the one in the clouds and because they pierced his side and did not believe, they mourn when they see him. This is not our picture of Jesus. When we see Jesus, man, we're going to be excited. When we see Jesus, I know that people are going to be so excited and, and the trumpet's going to sound and the twinkling of the eye, we're going to be caught up with him and, and Jody's going to be flying up before all of us. And I'm like, wait, no, 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 the dead in Christ should rise first. Wait your turn, you know, and, and we're going to be excited. But here in Revelation, the Bible says that they will mourn because of him. Why will they mourn? They will mourn because they rejected the Son of God. Matthew 24, 30 tells us this. Jesus says, then, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the people on earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great authority. Jesus is letting them know, people are not going to accept me. And when I come again, they will mourn. But that's not our message. That's not us. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We have been saved. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. But there are people who will reject that message. And the result of that is hell. The result of the mourning, the reason why they mourn is because there's only one other option. It's either heaven or hell. There are no options. Hell is something that we don't talk about much in church because it's not a popular subject, but it's an important subject. Matter of fact, Jesus talked about hell 11 times specifically. 
Half the people in the United States don't believe that there's a hell. Think about that. That, that you know, 175 million people do not even believe that there is a hell. And if you, if you really look at the numbers, if you take half, and this is from a study done, if you take half of those people, they're probably not children because children don't really know or comprehend a lot of things until they learn. And so you're talking about half the people in the United States that don't believe that there is a hell. You're talking about a lot of adults that don't believe that there is a place of eternal suffering and torment. And think about this, that out of the half, let's just say it's 175 million people that don't believe in hell. Just think about this, that half of those people, half of those people do not believe that they will suffer, but it's only simply a state of mind. That hell is, is a state of mind. There are some religions that believe that, that there are people that are not going to make it and they're going to stay in hell, which is basically earth. And those who really do make it, they're going to go to a place called heaven. So even your hell is just going to be here. You know, it's just going to be here. It's not really a place where you're going to suffer. But the Bible paints a different picture, paints a terrifying picture. And today we're going to talk about that. And we're going to look at one of the parables that Jesus says. This is going to be a little longer reading, but it really is a great example because Jesus is teaching us what it's like through this parable. This is Luke chapter 16. And verse 19 says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked Lazarus' sores. Verse 22, chapter 16, Luke. Then time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, and, and the King James, I believe, translates it as hell, but in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides, all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, then I beg you, the rich man begged, says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. Hell is pictured as a very literal place where there are these, this unrighteous rich man who went there immediately upon his death and the Lazarus went to what we would consider a paradise, a cross, because at this time Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Eleven of the times, eleven of the twelve times the word Gehenna or hell is used in the New Testament. It came from the lips of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is our primary source of what hell is like. And 
if you notice that Jesus paints a very real place called hell. He paints a real place. He's not talking about a state of mind. He's not talking about what you think it's like. He's letting us know there is a place of agony. It's a real place. So the first thing is that this is a place that is real. There are also several parts of hell. There are several parts. We have the abyss or the bottomless pit. Nine times in the Bible it talks about this bottomless pit where there are some demons that are presently confined who will be released for a period of time for five months to inflict on the lost during the tribulation. Revelation 9 tells us that the fifth angel sounded his trumpet and the star, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth, and the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, and he releases these demons, and their whole purpose is to torment people through this time. This is also the same place where Satan and his fallen angels will be locked up for a thousand years in Revelation 20. Nine times does it talk about the bottomless pit or the abyss. One time does it talk about Tartarus, this place in, in, in first, or Second Peter 2 where it says, For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Only one time is this mentioned. And this is in 2 Peter. And a lot of scholars believe that this is a result of Genesis 6. Because just before the flood, just before God um, destroyed the earth and removed everything except Noah and his family, in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about how the sons of God, these fallen angels, looked at these women that they were beautiful and they wanted to, to marry them, and they started to have kids. They started to have children. These angels came in. In Genesis chapter 6, you're like, what? Yeah, read the Old Testament. It's pretty exciting. And they started to do that, and God was so upset that he says, I'm going to wipe them out and start over again with Noah. And here you see where God does this, and a lot of people believe that, that God designed this place, Tartarus, specifically for those angels because he put them in chains of darkness to be held there for judgment. But one time is this mentioned in 2 Peter 2. Eleven times we have the word Hades. Hades, this is the place where the souls of the lost are confined while they await for the final judgment. This is a place where the dead are waiting. Uh, Revelation 1.18 says, I am the living one. Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and hell. Literally, death and Hades. I hold the keys of those who are waiting. Those who are waiting. Why? Because he will bring judgment upon them. Revelation 20, 13 says, The sea gave up the dead, and they were in it. And the death and Hades gave up their dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Those who die go to Hades, and they wait, just like Jesus was talking about. Now, in, there's nobody in paradise anymore. Because you see, when Jesus rose from the dead, what does Matthew say? That all these saints of the old woke up, and they came up, and they were going in town. They went down to Graffiti Corner, got some coffee, and said, hey, how you guys doing? No, 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 my name is Abraham. You know, they're gone. They're, why? Because to be dead here is to be alive with Christ when he rose from the dead. But Hades is still there. It's a waiting place. Because when the second coming of Christ comes, he's going to judge those that are there. So 11 times Haiti is referred to, and then 12 times Gehenna. Gehenna is the final place of eternal torment for Satan, demons, and all of the lost. You know, God never designed hell for us. He never designed it. 
But those who rejected him, those who do not accept salvation, this is the place where they will stay forever. Eternal torment. Revelations 20.14 says, Then the dead and, and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is it. There's no get out of jail card. This is it. And so that's why Jesus is letting us know hell is a real place. And it's also, it's also not going to be pleasant. And so we see that Jesus is talking about hell as a real place. We see that there are different parts of, of hell. We also know that hell is a place where you can remember. You can remember. The rich man remembered Lazarus. The rich man remembered his brothers. The rich man who was in hell, in waiting in Hades, he was there and he remembered his life. Now why is this so important to understand? Because I think one of the, the worst parts about hell is to be there remembering all the times you had a chance to accept this man named Jesus who promised to forgive you and give you eternal life and the ability to live with God in heaven and you will remember and it's a terrible memory but a place is where you hell is a place where you can remember hell is a place of torture sorrow and suffering look at what how it's described in the parable that Jesus gave. He says, I'm in agony in this fire. This is a place of torment, verse 24 and verse 28. And Jesus described it in Matthew 13, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's nothing like we see in the movies. You know, in the movies, we tend to glorify hell as, you know, some tough guy says, I'll see you in hell. And I'm thinking, no, you won't. Nuh-uh, because I can barely handle when I stub my toe. You think I'm going to handle being on fire? I mean, you ever, you ever burn yourself? Just don't try this at home, but if you just put your finger over, a, you'll realize that you're not designed for hell. It's real. It's agony. It's torture. And you say, well, how can a God who is so loving, so kind, create such a place? It wasn't created for us. But those who reject the message of Jesus Christ this is the place that is going to contain those who are waiting. It's also a place of unquenchable fire. Um, Matthew 13 says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and, will do, and all who do evil they will be thrown into the fernery fires where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Mark 9, he talks about, Jesus talks about in verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, meaning that you will continue to suffer over and over and over and over again. Everyone will be salted with fire, Jesus said. It's a fire that does not go out. You cannot relieve yourself from it. There is no relief. It's also a place of separation from God, we have never experienced life without his spirit. Think about this for a second. We, on this earth, even those who do not accept Jesus Christ, have never experienced the moment without the Holy Spirit here on earth. Because 
The Bible tells us that God wants all people to be saved. And, and Jesus says no one can come unless the Spirit enables them to come. So the Holy Spirit is talking to those who are lost, talking to those who aren't saved, saying, hey, come, come, come on, come on. Jesus is real. Jesus will forgive you. You can have eternal life. Just accept the gift that I've given you, Jesus. And we always have the Holy Spirit that is trying to draw us home. And we as Christians always have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Even in your weakest moment, you have the power of God inside of you. That should bring comfort, knowing that even in the moment where death one day will call us home, I'm going to be with Jesus. Even the worst thing that can happen as a human being, we die, we win. We are in heaven. We never know what it's like to be without the Spirit, and yet... This is a time in hell where you are completely separated from God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, There will be punishment with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Imagine being shut out from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes, you know, when my wife would make a mistake and we would get in an argument, she would, you know, go to the bedroom and lock the door. I was shut out. And I just grabbed that little key from the closet and I opened the door and I said, I'm here. You know, I'm here. You know, <laughs> and she does that symbolically saying, I'm mad at you, boy. You know, praise the Lord, the door has been locked in a long time, okay? So the thing is, though, is that when you've been shut out of the presence of God, that is not a place where you want to be. I don't know what it's like to live without his presence in my life. I remember what it was like to live without salvation and I remember the darkness, and I remember the lack of hope, and I remember the sin and the filth that I felt every single day, the burden. But I remember what it was like when I gave my heart to Jesus, and he set me free. This is a place where there is separation from the presence of God. It's also a place of raging thirst. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we get thirsty. Our bodies are designed to have water, you know, and, and it's important for us to drink water. But my, my wife's grandfather almost died because of dehydration. He was in such agony and pain. Nothing comforted him. And then they, finally my father-in-law brought him home and said, I'm going to get him out of this nursing home. I'm going to bring him to a nursing home that's in my town. I'm going to take care of him. And you know what he did? He gave him water. And literally giving him water, he ended up living another like six years after they said he was going to die. All from thirst the agony. And what did the rich man say? Please, have him just come dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue, please. The agony. This is a place of thirst. It's also a place where no one can escape. That's why Abraham says there is this chasm that has been fixed. It's, you can't cross it. It's done. No one escapes. And finally, this is a place that you will spend eternity without Jesus. You know, there are no other options. There are no other options in the Bible. It's either with God or without. Either all in or all out. Jesus did not say, listen, maybe, maybe if you spend some time in Hades and after a while you, you're on good behavior, there's no parole. It's it. Jesus did not give us any other options, heaven or hell. So once again, as we look at Revelation 1-7, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. 
That's not our message for those who accept Jesus Christ, but it is the message of those who don't. So this morning, I pray that you would understand the weight and the responsibility that we have to tell people about Jesus. They may not listen. They may not accept. They may even throw it back in your face. But it is our responsibility to always represent Jesus Christ because hell is a real place. And I don't want people, I don't want my friends to see the Son of Man coming and them to mourn. I want them to rejoice with me. This is why the book of Revelations, and and, and I mean this, I don't think the book of Revelation is about the church. It's not. It's about Israel. It's about the Gentiles. And it's about the judgment that is coming. The church is mentioned in chapters 2 and 3 specifically because this is why. Get your act together, church. Stop messing around. We got work to do because I'm coming. And I'm going to show you this as we go through the book of Revelation. But I want you to know that the book of Revelation is not about the church. It really isn't. But Jesus says, I want you to understand what's going to happen if you don't tell people about me. Hell is a real place. And I pray that we would do our responsibility to tell people about Jesus because no one wants to experience that. No one.